God. Praise, praise the Lord. Well, let's turn to the book of Jude, and we'll wrap this book up. We have uh, uh, been in it during five Sundays, and so this is number six, so six, six Sundays to get through the book of Jude. Uh, that means we have broken it down and, and done, a, done a pretty in-depth study of, of the book uh, let's turn to the book of Jude, and we'll read uh, beginning with verse 20. Let's stand together in honor of God's truth, God's word, his perfect word. It says in verse 20 of Jude, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now listen to this one. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's interesting. It goes on and he says, Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life, and some, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and of others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, that would be Jesus, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for the, the letter of Jude. And thank you for the, the in-depth. Uh, meaning, the, the eternal meaning of these powerful, powerful words that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would have your way. We, could, we can sense your presence here this morning, and we pray that hearts would be changed, that they would be touched, that lives would be, be uh, redirected this morning, rechanneled toward you in a very, very powerful way. Lord, I pray that everyone in earshot of my voice would from this moment forward make a determination to seek you, regardless of what everybody else is doing, that we would seek you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' sweet name, Lord, have your way this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we've been in five five different studies of it, or five, five different Sundays, we've looked at uh, the epistle of Jude. And once again, the word epistle, you might see that. Up there is your heading where it says uh, the, the epistle of Jude. That simply means letter. This is a letter that Jude, uh, that God, through Jude, uh, wrote to a, a group. And we're not sure which church exactly, but uh, for sure he is writing to saved people. And we can see that through the context. Now, remember Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. That would be the younger brother of Jesus. I think that he's probably, uh, I think there's a good chance he is the youngest of uh, those, those siblings because uh, of his listing. He's normally, from what I've seen, he's normally listed last, uh, which would, uh, I believe, indicate that he's 
perhaps the youngest. For, for sure, Jesus is the oldest of all of them. He was born of a virgin birth, as Michael read about this morning. Now, we talked about a challenge, and I know there are some, even in our presence this morning, that have the book of Jude memorized. Now, is that you? Do you have it memorized? I want to challenge you now uh, that it'll make a difference in your life to memorize this book, memorize this letter. Uh, and if, if you haven't yet, then uh, I would encourage you over the next, maybe the next few days, next few weeks, really get into memorizing it and so that you can recall uh, these things. Because we, as, as Christians, we're facing some of the same things that Jude has talked about in, in this letter. And so it's important to look at these and to, uh, to, to hide God's Word in our heart so that we can recall it when we run up against these things. And so hopefully you've read through it a number of times, and uh, that, that would be good. You can do that. You can, there, there's no doubt in my mind if somebody like me can memorize uh, some of these verses, uh, I know you can as well. Um, so now let's, let's talk just a moment about kind of a, uh, a, a, uh, one of the key points within this letter, and that is that uh, uh, verse 4 mentions, verses 3 and 4 mention that Jude had intended to write something else. He had intended to write to them about uh, the salvation through Jesus Christ, which is a good thing. But God changed his mind. God redirected him. And, and Jude is a wonderful uh, example of listening to God and then doing what he says. I'm so thankful Jude did that because now we have the book of Jude. And so Jude was, God wanted Jude to write to these people and tell them about these, these people that were in, their, in the church, that on the outside they looked good, but on the inside he says in verse, uh, in verse 4 that they are ungodly. He describes these guys. And then we've gone through Jude and we've seen the context when you look at verse 13 and it tells about and verse 12 where it talks about twice dead and uh, you know we talked about that second death look these guys here from all indication in Jude these what Jude calls these certain men they are lost and they are headed to hell they weren't there yet but that's where they were headed oh I pray that that uh before they died, that they received Jesus as their Savior. I, I believe that was God's will for those certain men, those certain people that were talked about, to receive Him. He was trying to reach them, no doubt. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. Now, this morning, let me back up and say this. Uh, this just went through my brain, that when we run up against those things, when we run up against people, that uh, that maybe on the outside they look good, but they're ungodly. They're they're uh, they're headed in the wrong direction. Then and we begin to realize that about them. God gives us some direction, 
And you can see that it is found in verse 17 where he says, remember the words that the, uh, that the, the apostles spoke. In other words, remember the words of this book. Remember, because God has forewarned us that there's going to be people like that. So when we run up against those situations, we're to go to Scripture and not let our flesh take over. You know, my flesh wants to take over sometimes. And, uh, you know, I can stiff arm people and just, uh, you know, when someone doesn't uh, maybe agree with me, I might just say, well, all right. But we're going to see something this morning how God was using this church to try to reach these people. That's what he was doing. And so that's one of the things he was doing. Let's look at, we're going to look at three things this morning from verses 20 through 25. And let me give you those three. I know some of you take notes and, and this is good to take down. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is uh, how are we, you know, we read across this here in some of the verses we read this morning, how are we to keep ourselves in the love of God? You can see that's what he says uh, in, uh, in verse 21. So how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? What does that even mean? That's very interesting. I'm telling you, these things, the things we're going to talk about this morning are huge. These are, these are big things. Doctrinally, these are crucial, these points we're going to talk about. Uh, so how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Second, we're going to take a look at the heart of God. In other words, what is, what is he thinking? What is he, and now, who can really understand the mind of God? But we're going to take a look at some things we, we do know about him. I mean, it's, it's big. This is, this is huge. And then uh, lastly, we're going to look at the truth. Oh, I'm so thankful for this truth. This powerful, powerful truth mentioned in verse 24 that Jesus Christ, the biblical truth that Jesus Christ is able to keep you and me from falling. And now, those of, uh, those of us who have memorized, if you have memorized Jude 1 through 25, I want to encourage you, let that verse, I mean, burn that verse in your mind, in your heart. That is, that is a crucial verse. So, uh, the biblical truth that Jesus Christ is able to keep you from falling. Because see, when the chips are down and life has thrown you a curveball, you got to remember that one, that he's able. He is able to keep you from falling. So let's look at the, the first thing. How do we, let's examine, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, first of all, and this is verses 20 and 21. God loves us, but he hates sin. Amen? He hates sin. And uh, let me read to you. I, as I was sitting over here, I was thinking about um, Romans. You might write this down. You don't have to turn there, but 
Romans 5, 6 says this. Romans 5, 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, in his timing, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, did you hear that? That's crucial. Romans, the, the theological book of the New Testament, says this, Romans 5, 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, back over in Jude, remember, God tells Jude, and Jude tells these people, these men were ungodly. That means Christ died for them. He died for them. So, we're looking at how do we keep ourselves in the love of God. Jude is not, first of all, let me tell you, Jude is, is not telling us to live in such a way that we can make ourselves uh, more lovable to God. See, we, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves more lovable to God. The idea here is for us to keep ourselves in harmony with God's ever-present love. Okay, now that's crucial. These are big things. For us to keep ourselves in harmony with God's ever-present love. Now listen, God extends His love to the worst of the worst. Amen? I mean, His love is deep. It is, it is wide. It, is, uh, it goes to the, the worst of the worst. If you're in here this morning, you're thinking, yeah, maybe, you, uh, maybe you're involved in some sin. On the outside, you look good, and nobody knows it but you and God. Let me tell you, God loves you. He loves you. There may be somebody sitting in here this morning that has done something and you think, I have, I've messed up. And you may have. But you know what? God loves you. He loves you. And so Jude is not telling us that we can live in such a way, for us to live in such a way to make ourselves more lovable, he already loves us. Remember that verse in Romans 5, 6? It says he died in, a, in due time. He died for the ungodly, the, the worst of the worst. And nothing can separate us from that love. That's what Romans tells us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But here's the thing. This is what Jude is trying to, it's what he's, he's teaching here, is that we can deny ourselves the benefits of, of God's love, some of the benefits of God's love. The prodigal son is the perfect example. God loved him. But he lived in such a way that he was, he was outside of some of the benefits of God's love. He still got the sun shine, shining on him, and it probably rained on him a little bit. I mean, those, are, those are great things. But we can live in a way that we put ourselves outside the benefits 
of God's love. And so Jude says in verse, verse uh, 21, he sa- look at it there. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, God already loves you. But keep yourselves in the benefits, in harmony with God's love. And that is the teaching here. Now, how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves in the benefits or in the, uh, in the love of God? How do we enjoy? Let me put it that way. How do we enjoy the benefits of God's love? Look back up at verse 20. It's, and, and let me say this. First of all, before we get to verse 20, first thing is salvation. Salvation. That's the, first, that's the first way to enjoy the benefits of God's love. God already loves you, but to enjoy those benefits, salvation is it. But Jude is talking to save people. We know that from the context. He's talking to a church, a group of people. And so for the saved, how do we enjoy the benefits of God's love? Look at verse 20. The first thing he says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. That's the first way. That's growing spiritually. Now that's our responsibility. See, a lot of people forget that. That's, but Jude makes it clear here. He says, keep yourselves, excuse me, back, back up to verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. So that's our responsibility to uh, grow spiritually. I pray that I'm talking to a group of people that are so into God's word. And you are uh, living According to God's will, you're giving it your best. You're growing spiritually. Now listen, I know we've talked about this before, but the next pastor, this is crucial now, and you can't forget this. The first thing that the next man has to do, this needs to be ask him. When when you're questioning is... What do you think the, the first job is? And according to Scripture, in Acts, what, what that pastor has to do is take the congregation to the Word of God. And the people begin to make the decisions, all the decisions of their lives based on the Word of God. That's crucial. Now, a lot of, a lot of churches don't do that. They're a mile wide and inch deep. They're involved in all kinds of things. But God's direction is that the people are making the decisions of their lives based on the Word of God. They're keeping themselves in the love of God. That's the, the first way is to, is to grow spiritually. So they keep themselves. That's, that's the pastor's first responsibility takes the church to the Word. They begin to make their decisions of their lives based on eternity, not on the here and now. They make the decisions on their lives. They they make the decisions of their lives based on the Word of God. And then start getting involved in all this other stuff, uh, uh, whatever it might be. That's crucial. you got to know that. So keep growing spiritually. 
That's the first thing, and that's what's that's what he mentions in verse 20. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1:26 says this. It says we are created in the image of God, in the image and likeness of God. Now, that's a big deal. That means a whole lot more than what I'm about to say. But it is huge. And maybe we look like God to a degree. I don't know. But the image and likeness means that we have, there are things about us he has, he has given us that he has. He's creative. We can see that. He's given us the ability to be, to be creative. He's given us the ability to, to speak to one another, to think, to communicate, to love, to hate. We should hate evil. See, he's made us in the image and likeness of him. But let me tell you this, and there's a lot more to it than what I just said. But a part of that is we are his representatives on this earth. So he wants us to grow spiritually so that we can be the proper representatives on this earth. That's crucial. So, and, and I was just thinking here, even as I'm preaching, I'm thinking of Enoch. Oh, what an example in Romans chapter 6. It says, Enoch walked with God. He, as a matter of fact, if you go over to, you might write this down. We looked at this here a couple of weeks ago. I think it's Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 11, 6. 11, 5, 11, 6, I think. Boy, be sure and write that down. Hebrews 11, 5 or 11, 6 says that Enoch pleased God. Well, look, I looked that up in the, in the uh, Greek, and it means he was well-pleasing to God. That's the, same, that's the same passage. I'm talking about Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. That's the same passage that says it is impossible to please God without faith. So here's what that means. A, a part of... of Keeping ourselves in the love of God is to live by faith. We are growing spiritually. That's what he wants to do. That's why he says uh, in verse 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Growing spiritually. Hebrews says it is impossible to please God without faith. Now, the second thing, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we keep ourselves in the, in the benefits of God's love and not wander away like the prodigal son? God still loved him, but he was wandering outside those benefits. Second, it says praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. you see that there in verse 20? So building up your most holy faith, on your most holy faith, and then praying in the Holy Ghost. And see, the, the battle, uh, one of the guys I read in studying for this uh, sermon said this, the battle against wrong living and wrong teaching is a spiritual battle requiring prayer in the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. The battle against wrong living and wrong teaching is a spiritual battle requiring prayer in the Holy Spirit. 
Here's the thing. When I pray, too much of the time, it's about me. I'm, I'm, you know, do you ever do that? The meaning here is, look, we need to go deep in prayer. We're in a spiritual battle. Now, I'm telling you this. I believe that in the enemy, I would say he probably knows exactly what's going on in this church. I would say he probably knows there's not a full-time pastor. He's probably aware of that. And he's going to work He's going to work overtime trying to get the wrong man right in here. Now, I'm telling you, I've seen this before. I've been the interim pastor of three or four other churches. I've seen this. Now, look, God loves this church. And it's interesting that we've hit some of these things this morning. God wants us to grow spiritually, and to go deep in our prayers. That's what he wants. The enemy wants us to be surface. Yeah, just be a surface Christian. But it, re- it requires going deep. It's a whole nother level. So let's look at it again. It says, but ye, beloved, building up your most holy faith, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. See, all that's tied together. Now, a third thing is, look what it says there in verse 21, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, we're to keep our mind on eternity. That's it. So we build ourselves, it's our responsibility, build ourselves on our most holy faith. In other words, we're growing spiritually. We're, we're reading God's word and we're doing what it says. Even though it might be hard, we're taking steps of faith. Lord, I, I don't understand how this is going to pan out, how this is going to work, but I believe it's what you say, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what it says. See, that's what he said, building up yourself on your most holy faith. And then he says... Praying in the Holy Ghost. In other words, going deep in our prayers. And then he says in verse 21, keep your eyes on eternity. See what he says? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what's coming your way, keep your eyes on the fact that you're saved. That Jesus has saved you. Keep your eye on that. Now, as I, was, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, boy, that all sounds good. Now, what are the implications behind that? What, does the, what do those things imply when he says, keep yourself in the love of God? Well, first thing, God loves us, right? It implies God loves me. God loves you. He loves us. Secondly, the second thing that it implies is that God wants us to live in such a way that is well-pleasing to Him. He wants that. He wants us to grow spiritually. And I'm praying that He will bring the next pastor here, that the next pastor will have a heart to take the church deep in the Word of God. I mean deep. Deeper than ever. 
prayed deeply and looking for eternity with confidence. And see, the above three, those three things, uh, growing spiritually, praying deeply, looking forward, no matter what's going on, we're looking forward to Jesus Christ. See, that's, that is living by faith. That is living by faith. And so, let's go to the next one. Let's talk about the heart of God. Look at verse 22. It says, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Verse 23 says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now, let's review just a moment. There's some guys in that church that, that Jude is talking about, that God through Jude is talking about. There's some guys there that on the outside they look good, but they were lost. And they, had, they were teaching a false doctrine. A part of that doctrine is, uh, is found in verse 4. It says they were, uh, they, uh, they were uh, lascivious. That means it's unbridled lust. And they were, uh, they were living like this. And it mentions the, uh, they were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And they were denying the only Lord God, which is Jesus Christ. But here's what they were doing. Is, oh, it's okay if you do this. or it's okay. We're under grace. That's, what they, that's their false doctrine. It's okay if you sin. You're under grace. But Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This verse this is chapter 6. He says, God forbid. That's Romans chapter 6. God forbid. So that's what these people were facing. They were facing these guys that had that false teaching. But I will tell you this, that God was trying to reach those men. He was trying to reach the people that were influenced by those guys. And he was trying to reach them, uh, those what uh, Jude calls those certain men. As a matter of fact, when you look at the heart of God over in the Gospels, time and time again, Jesus kept coming back to those Pharisees. He kept coming back to him. Oh, he was, he didn't try to sugarcoat it. He kept coming back to him. And he'd say, this is how it is. He'd even run them out of the, uh, uh, he'd run some of them out of the, the temple, them and some others. But he kept coming back to them. Kept coming back to the Sadducees. Kept coming back to the false teachers. See, he was trying to reach them. That's what he was doing. And he got at least two of them, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and, and uh, Nicodemus. We do know that. But the meaning here is to continue to love them. So you may th think of someone that, that is hard-boiled. Oh, they're difficult. Maybe they're, they're lost and your flesh wants to just say, let it go. Listen, that's not God's way. Here's the thing. And no doubt, 
God wants to use you and I to reach the lost. So there may be some, just as I said that, maybe someone came across your mind that's hard-boiled and you know they're lost. No doubt God wants to use you. Uh, no matter how bad a person is, uh, how misleading, how terrible their doctrine, uh, we're not supposed to hate them. We're not supposed to be uh, unconcerned about their salvation. God wants to reach them. Now, what's the implication on that? You see, when you read those verses, verse 22 and 23, of some have compassion making a difference. In other words, those that, that when you're, you cross paths with them and you see them in need, have compassion on them. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What are the, what's the implications on that? Well, God wants to use us to affect the lost. That's it. He wants to use us. One of the implications of the entire book of Jude is that there are people that look like they have it all together, but they're lost. And God wants to use you and me to affect them. And here's the deal. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking, Lord, how can I, how can I affect those? Because, you know, I was thinking of, some of maybe some of the clients I have. And it may be that maybe you just plant a seed with someone. That's all you do, maybe. Maybe someone else has already planted the seed and you're watering. Or maybe you actually get to lead them to Jesus Christ. It might even be, and this is verse 23, it might even be, that they're on their deathbed years from now and they remember what you said about Jesus and they call on Jesus Christ just like that thief on the cross and it's almost as if look at verse 23 it's almost as if they got they, they were so close to the fire you just snatched them out of the fire God snatched them out of the fire you see that they were real close. They almost got burned. And pulling them out of the fire. Oh, I, I pray that there's no one in here that, that if you were to die right now, that you would feel that fire. But if there is, Christians, listen. We got to plant seeds we got to water so that even on their deathbed, if they call out to Jesus, he'll save them. They get real close. They came close. So that's the heart of God. He's trying to reach them, and he uses us. So the first thing this morning is that God wants us to keep ourselves in the love of God, in the benefits of His love. He wants us, secondly, to understand his, uh, this part of His heart. Who can understand the mind and, mind and heart of God totally? 
I can't. But I, can, I know this much. He kept coming back to those Pharisees. And I believe he was trying to reach these guys right here in, in Jude. Let's look at the third thing. Oh, what a powerful passage. It says in verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. That's talking about Jesus Christ. The biblical truth that Jesus is able to keep you from falling. And, you know, uh, certainly God is with us as we go through trials and difficulties. There's no doubt about that. Uh, He won't forsake us. Now, we may have to go through some very difficult times. As a matter of fact, you may even be called to die for your faith. I, I can't imagine that. But, uh, you know, there are some that have gone before us that have had to. So he's with us even when we go through trials, but that's not really the context here. See, the context of Jude is that there are some people that are lost, and they are headed to hell, and they need help. They're even affecting, possibly, some other people. So we're talking about salvation here, see? When you look at the context, and when you study the Scripture, context is everything. Um, and perhaps one of the guys I read said this, perhaps they, these people thought with so, uh, with so much false teaching and immorality around, very few, very few Christians would ever reach heaven. Maybe that's what they were thinking. But here... He reminds them that their only answer is God. He is able to keep you. And we're not able to keep ourselves. We just can't do it. I can't keep myself. Verse 24, the word keep, I looked it up. It means this. It means to guard a person that he may remain safe. Guard a person that he may remain safe. And that uh, keep a person from being lost or perishing. That's what it says when it says, that's what it means when it says he is able to keep you from falling. As a matter of fact, there's a direct connection between uh, verse 24 and verse 1. Verse 1 talks about Christians being preserved. That means attend to carefully, take care of, to guard, to keep one in the state in which he is. See, he's able to to, uh, keep us from falling. We can't keep ourselves. I want to read to you what John chapter 10, you might write this down, John 10, 27 through 29, says this. Powerful passage. John 10, 27 through 29 says, My sheep, this is Jesus talking, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. I love this part. And they shall never perish. Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. See, when he mentions it twice, when he says, uh, uh, nobody's going to pluck you out, that's, that's intense. When the Bible repeats things like that, that, ref- uh, that refers to a, an intensity. So, he says to us today, 
Keep yourself in the love of God. That means for us to grow spiritually, to pray, uh, to pray intently, and to look forward to Jesus Christ, to spending an eternity with Him with everything we have. That's building ourselves up on the most holy uh, faith, keeping our, our, uh, ourselves in God's love. He wants us to know that His heart is that people be saved. He wants to reach them through us. And then, verse 24, He is able to keep us from falling. He's able to preserve our salvation. What are the implications on that? He knows us. That's the first one. You could probably think of more. I thought of these three. He knows us. He wants He wants even those men that are mentioned here in verse 4. He wants them to be presented faultless. He's trying to reach them. But you know one of the other implications is there will be some. The Bible even talks about many that will not be presented faultless. They haven't received Jesus as their Savior. Look at verse 25. It says, To the only wise God, our Savior, talking about Jesus, He knows the way. That word, the word wise means He knows the direction for your life. It says, To Him be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and and forever. What an introduction to the book of Revelation. What an introduction. Now, Jude, we've looked at him, we've looked at humbling ourselves. Jude was a humble man. We've looked at contending for the faith. Earnestly contending. That means it's going to be a struggle. And I, you know, up in uh, verse 13, no, up in verse 14, he gives us an example of Enoch. And uh, I'm so glad he did. Enoch's a great example of keeping himself in the love of God, uh, living faithfully, being well-pleasing. He recognized the heart of God. I believe Enoch had an an impact on those around him. But before we close, I wanted to, uh, Josh, if you'll put, put that up there. I want to show you something. I showed you this here a, a, a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago. I darkened it. You may not be able to see it real clear, but I wanted to show you something. I didn't show you the other day. This is my handout, and if you can't see it real good, then I apologize for that, but I just listen to what I'm saying. Uh, sometimes a visual helps me. I know you can't see the names over at the side, but that one's Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, uh, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch. There's Enoch right there. And then there's Methuselah, Lamech, and there's Noah. There's ten generations there. It came out of a godly lineage. Remember I told you I woke up early one morning and it hit me. I did the numbers. Uh, I, I ran the numbers on my calculator on my phone. and that, So I'm the one that did this. You know, Adam lived 930 years. And here's, you see that little dash right there? That's where, he, that's where Seth was born. So here's, uh, excuse me, this is where Seth was born, right there. So now here's Seth's line, and here's where Enos was born, and then here's Enos's line. So I have the, 
the number of years they lived out the side. For instance, Adam lived 930 years and 912 on Seth, so on and so forth. Now, we looked at that here a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't tell you this part. And this took me a little while to really realize, but I want you to look at Methuselah right here. Okay, now here's Enoch right there. Can you see my red light? Can you see that? So you can see Enoch right there. And Enoch's the one that's mentioned in Jude. Okay, Jude says Enoch, the seventh from Adam. The reason he says that seventh from Adam is because Cain had an Enoch as well. And so Jude is saying, look, I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about the one seventh from Adam. He's a godly man. As a matter of fact, this, impl- this, this seems to be the godly heritage. Now, the thing about this that, that really stunned me, I didn't tell you this the other day, is you look at these guys lived hundreds of years. We were meant to live forever. That's why these first guys lived so long. And God was using them to uh, multiply. But you see Methuselah. Here he is. Here's where his line. Now, I'm going to go straight up, and I want you to see this. Okay? There's Adam. So see, he intersected with Adam. He lived at the same time as Adam for hundreds of years. Okay? Can you imagine that? So Methuselah and Adam knew one another. Now, Methuselah, you can see Methuselah is Noah's grandfather. And look at this. Methuselah and Noah, look how long they lived together. Hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, there's the flood right there. And Methuselah died just right before the flood. Now, the thing that that I wanted to show you this morning is that Methuselah had firsthand knowledge. I mean, firsthand knowledge of creation. He crossed paths with Adam. And these guys lived in close proximity to one another. So no doubt, as a matter of fact, many believe that uh, you know, Jude talks about the prophecy of Enoch. Many believe that Noah had that prophecy on the ark. That's what they believe. But the thing I want to point out to you is that Noah was able to learn from his granddaddy, more than likely, firsthand information about creation. God has always given us firsthand information. Now, Josh, you can remove that. This Bible, this this book that we just completed, Jude, is firsthand. See, Jude was Jesus' half-brother. This is firsthand information. This is crucial. So, we're not reading some uh, far-fetched, unknowledgeable, maybe interpreted over and over again. No, we're reading firsthand information directly from God. God's the one that gave it to him. That's powerful. Let's stand together. Lord, Thank you for giving us firsthand information. Thank you for giving us firsthand information about what you want for us, for us to build ourselves 
up spiritually. Our responsibility for us to keep ourselves in your love, in the benefits of your love. And Lord, for us to be about uh, letting you work through us to reach people. Lord, help us to be the servants that you've called us to be. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are able, Lord Jesus, to keep our salvation preserved. No, no one, nothing can pluck us out of your hand. And Lord, for those that are in this room, perhaps, that, and only you know this, you and, and that person, for those that are in this room that don't know you as Lord and Savior, oh God, I pray that you would save their souls this, this very day. Oh, please don't let them leave here unsaved. Uh, uh, Lord, they may be closer to the fire than they realize. Oh, God, save them this morning. Thank you for the first-hand word that you have given us. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. Would you just let Jesus have his way in your life this morning as we sing together?